believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. people of Israel, they've been in the land about 400 years. They've had the judges. They want a king. They want to be like all the other nations. And of course, we know that they were not intended to be like all the other nations. They were the least of all, as Sam even taught on Tuesday night. But God chose Israel and made a great nation out of them, the nation that the Messiah, of course, Jesus Christ would come through. And so God had prophesied that the scepter would not depart from the tribe of Judah. There would be a time where Surely the king of the Jews would come and the king of kings, Jesus, that's all there, even going back to the prophecy in Genesis 49 about the ruler coming from the tribe of Judah. But however God was going to do that, he did do it the way it worked out in history. But what these people are doing is something different. This is not God's plan here that they're demanding a king at this point because God is their king. And as God said to Samuel the prophet, they've not, they're rejecting me as they reject you. And we saw that. So in chapter 8, they said, give us a king. Then again in chapter 9, um, as Saul, things were moving towards Saul becoming that king, and we saw this a couple weeks ago on Tuesday, that the Lord revealed to Samuel in chapter 15 of verse 9 that he told Samuel in his ear that day before Saul came, saying, about this time tomorrow a guy's going to come to you. He's going to be the guy that's going to be king. And then in verse uh, 17 of chapter 9, the Lord, it says that, so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. So in the verse by verse, two weeks ago on Tuesday, it's already been established through to Samuel the prophet by the Lord that Saul of the tribe of Benjamin would be that king of Israel. And that's our background. In the very last part of chapter nine, it says that in the historical record that Saul and Samuel were coming out of the, the city there, And Samuel said to Saul in verse 27, Tell the servant of yours to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here that I may announce to you the word of God. And that's where the verse by verse left off a week and a half ago in 1 Samuel. So the stage is set where it's kind of frozen. And now Samuel is speaking to Saul and he's confirming that he's going to be the king. And that's our background tonight. So chapter 10, verse 1, picks it up from there and says this. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And when you've departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Those, of course, were his father's donkeys. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worried about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor, and there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, 
another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And after that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you've come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days till you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. So this is that background where between Samuel the prophet, the last judge, and Saul the first king, that ordination, that commissioning is taking place. Now, the latter part of chapter 10, we'll see this on Tuesday night, when Saul was to be coronated as king, he was hiding. He, he hid himself. There's a lot of paradoxical things with Saul when we look at his life, and we will for the next few weeks, where on one hand, he wanted to be the king, but he shrank back from it at times. It was, it's hard to understand him. There really are some things we see about him where like, hey, you get to be the king. We already know he's the tallest man in Israel. The Holy Spirit tells us he's the best looking man in Israel. He looks like a king, but he's going to be hiding on his coronation day. There's a lot of things that are perplexing and paradoxical about him as we get into his life when he becomes the king, how he treats David and all these other things. There's a good beginning and then there's a terrible ending with his life. And really, his life, in fact, becomes a great warning it's hard to build a theology around his life because there's just some very strange things that go on with his life, like calling up the, the going to the witch at Endor and bringing Samuel back from the dead. You just kind of scratch your head and go like, mm, I don't know about that. So there's not a lot of theology to form about the life of Saul, but there definitely is instruction, encouragement, exhortation, and comfort to get from his life that would stir us up to do good things and make sure if we have a good beginning that we have a good finish. So with that in mind... Draw your attention to where it says that, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? There in that first verse. What we read about tonight in this text contextually is about Samuel confirming to Saul that the Lord has anointed you to be the commander of his inheritance. You are going to be that king. And then later on down there in verse 6, it says, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and these things are going to happen. We saw the spirit of the Lord coming upon people in the book of Judges more than once. That sense where God's spirit just comes upon them, gives them courage like Gideon, things like that. Samson is a deliverer, and we've seen that. And we know in the New Testament that when we give our life to Christ, we're born of the spirit. So the Old Testament has the Holy Spirit working in and through the nation of Israel in various ways. Certainly all the prophets spoke as they were moved by the spirit. We're told that in the New Testament. But what we understand is the Holy Spirit working in the life of the, of the church, who we are tonight, is different than what they had back then. So they had a, a substance of things to come, but we have the fullness which is in Christ. Because, of course, the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost, and we know that we have the fullness of the things of the Spirit. But it does get our attention when we think about the church of Jesus Christ, our place, if we've given our life to Christ in the church, with this phrase in verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you're going to be turned into another man. And when these signs come to you, 
you do as the occasion demands. The list of signs contextually is amazing. All these signs, like you're going to go here, these guys have three goats, two loaves, three loaves of bread. It's like the signs are very deliberate and absolute. Wouldn't you agree? Like I actually highlight them. There's many different signs. And of course, we know in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll know someone's a prophet if what they say comes to pass completely, 100%. No errors. And Samuel said, you'll see these signs, and there'll be a sign for who? For Saul to know this, in fact, is the confirmation from the Lord, that he is the anointed of the Lord, and he is to be the king. So the signs were given. They were given for Saul to strengthen his faith for what God was calling him to do. And then through those signs, he was to be encouraged to do what's right to do and to rise to the occasion. And so tonight, as we look at this text, we want to take this Old Testament context and make it New Testament for us tonight as the church. In this text, I don't do this often, but I see a connection of words that will help us to to connect it. You know, my son-in-law, Nate, teaches the youth there in Vero Beach, and he's always, like, making things really good for the youth to remember, like A, B, C, and he matches stuff up. So I'm going to take a page from my son-in-law, Nate's uh, studies and how he teaches. So we see this phrase, turn into another man. That's transformation. When these signs come to you, that's confirmation, and that you do what the occasion demands, that's ordination. So in this text tonight, we see his transformation, his confirmation, and his ordination. And that's how we can remember this text as we think about us tonight. Now, Sam on Tuesday night talked a lot about not many wise, not many noble are called, but God uses the foolish things of the world, and that it's our availability that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the face of the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. The necessity of humility to be used by the Lord. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that text from 1 Corinthians that Sam taught is a really good fit for us in relation to this text. Because this text reminds us, even tonight, all of us that we're alive and we say Christ is Lord and Savior, that God's not done. And we might not be at the beginning of our ordination of things God wants to do in our life. But we are in the middle of it. And we know from the Bible and human nature that danger of fading from the glory instead of pressing into the glory and those things that God has for us. I think tonight when we think about the application, because we're not being called to be king, if you will, but we are being called, you know, we all are ordained. We are all ordained to fulfill our ministry in this journey, like Ephesians 2 says, that we're his workmanship. So one thing for sure that all of us in Jesus' name have tonight is we have unfinished business of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. In us, through us, confirmed to us, and for the kingdom and for humanity till we're done. And that's what I want to really focus on tonight. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. So let's, let's talk about this transformation He says you'll be turned into another man. Of course, this is exactly what Jesus said to Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to him, and he said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. And that phrase makes so clear for us that when we, if we're going to be saved, and with this so great a salvation, again, that Sam talked about Tuesday night from Corinthians, We're going to be saved through faith. We're going to be saved by grace. And we're not going to save ourselves. And there is no other means by which we can be saved. So the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us, it is the confirmation of God's power in our life. 
And when Saul, when the Holy, when God says through the prophet Samuel that you will be changed into another man, this is really what happens to all of us when we give our life to Christ, when we're truly born again. And this is the difference between being a spirit-filled woman or a spirit-filled man versus a person that's not regenerated but goes to church and says they serve God or believes in Jesus, but they don't have the power. They're not, they're not made alive. They're not born anew. They're not born again. And we must be born again. As Vernon McGee said, the hardest people to convert are the people that are in your church. And Pastor Chuck said the same thing many times at Big Calvary. Or, as I also remember Pastor Chuck saying one time, just because you're teaching something sound doesn't mean people are hearing something sound. Just because you're sending out the truth, and you're, that doesn't mean they're receiving it that way. So I really hope and pray that tonight we're receiving things the right way. Turn into another woman. Turn into another man. This is the work that God's doing in us in our personal lives, in our journey, after we give our life to Christ. We're not born of the will of men. We're not born of flesh. We're not born of blood. When we're saved, when we pass from death to life, we're born of God, as it says in 1 John chapter 1. And we're born again. We, we pass from Adam to Christ. And we, we have to look at the parallels of Adam and Christ and Eve and Christ, if you will, for this reason, because in Adam all sin and die. But the second Adam, Christ, were all made alive through faith in him. And as we bear the body of the first Adam, corruptible, mortal, decay, we will bear the body of the second Adam. The second body is immortal and glorious. The, celesti- the terrestrial must put on celestial. And we're told there in 2 Corinthians that we're being transformed from glory to glory. By the Spirit, we're being transformed from glory to glory. So though the outward man or outward man, woman is perishing through faith in Jesus and the experience is working together for good in our lives through faith, we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit through these things. So every adversity is an opportunity for growth and maturity. Every perceived setback is the, the predecessor of greater growth in the Lord if we walk by faith and we believe those things by faith in Jesus. Because all things do work together for good. So therefore, every frustrating thing, every difficult thing, every arduous thing, if we truly believe that all things are working together for good, we will be transformed by it. We will grow in our faith in the Lord, our confidence in his promises, and we become more like Jesus. And, and by living by faith and holding that faith, is going to produce greater faith in our life and a greater witness in our life. So we truly are being, so we pass from death to life position. We pass from death to life positionally and eternally. So when we're born again, we literally, you know, we were condemned, now we're justified. We were perishing, now we're made alive. It was hell, now it's heaven. It is the flesh, now it's the spirit. That has happened. That faith gives us a positional righteousness, but of course the practical righteousness is that ministry of the Holy Spirit giving us, making us a new man, a new woman, giving us, as it said also in the text in verse 9, another heart. When we give our life to Christ, we have the potential to have another heart. No longer a hard heart, a rebellious heart, a desperately evil heart, but a new heart. The Holy Spirit will do heart surgery on us. We switch, we pass from death to life positionally, but the transformation and how much we're willing to embrace the ministry of the Spirit in our life, that's an individual choice. Romans 8 talks about those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So we're waking up and we're either living by faith and seeing the kingdom and the promises and all the good things of glory that is and glory to come and glory that was, or we're living in unbelief. And it's funny because in the Old Testament, 
The Bible talks about keep on preaching to these people, but they won't listen and they won't hear, lest their hearts not be dulled and their hearing dulled and their hearts hardened. And in the New Testament, Jesus quotes that same passage concerning the nation of Israel and his generation, that they have ears, but they can't hear. They have hearts that they can't receive and the eyes that they can't see, lest they repent. So in other words, in their unbelief that they've embraced, nothing's good. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled, nothing's pure, but everything's evil, right? So the Bible says. So when we think about having God giving us, making us a new woman or a new man, that's what's availed to us when we give our life to Christ. And that's what's availed to us every day when we live for Christ. Are we going to let that transforming work take place in our life? So we can have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit wrote the word of God. We read the Bible. He illuminates the word for us. Someone that's not born again when they read the Bible, they can be inspired and say, oh, that's a, that's a, the Sermon on the Mount, what, what incredible things about... They can be a total humanitarian and humanist and think, oh, those are, those are really cool letters. We'll put them right there with Allahs or Buddhas or Confucius or whatever. That's what they get. They get ink on a white paper. And then they might do that with the Ten Commandments and say, oh, what a wonderful moral code if you could do such a thing. But holy men of God spoke as the Holy Spirit moved them. And when we're born again... The Spirit in us illuminates the text to us. So we read a passage, and it's living and powerful. It's, it's transforming of our mind. It's transforming of our life. It, it shapes our worldview. But someone who's not saved, it doesn't mean any, It might not mean anything to them. Now, of course, they can get saved through reading the Word, right? It convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment with the Holy Spirit confirming the Word. It'll do what its purpose is, but obviously not everyone gets saved, right? My Word will not return void, God says. They'll do what I purpose. But, you know, in some people's hearts that are hardened and given over, they're, they're, they're vessels of wrath. And that's what they've chosen for themselves in their self-determination. So when we think about being believers in 2022, young or old or anything in the middle, we need to understand that the moment we give our life to Christ, we are turned into another woman and to another man. Because if anyone be in Christ or a new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. That is the positional transformation that has happened before the presence of God, and the spiritual transformation has happened by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we see in the New Testament, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit being with the disciples. Then he talked about when the Holy Spirit would be in the disciples. And then in Acts chapter 1, he talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. Many of you might know this as being like the, the, the par, the in, and the epi. When you're not saved, the Holy Spirit's with you, convicting you, drawing you, and wooing you to Christ, directing you to Christ. Because Jesus said when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, he'll direct all people to himself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to look to Christ. He's with, with, para. So he's around the world. He knows everything going on in the world. He's with humanity, the Holy Spirit is. But he's not in. He comes in when we receive Christ. That's when he's in. And we're told that the Holy Spirit literally indwells us, that we're the temple of God. He literally indwells us. So before you got saved, there might, you might not have been quenched or grieved by people doing evil things or speaking foul language or vulgar and crude things and crude jokes and vulgar innuendos and stuff. But when the Holy Spirit's in you, you're like, oh, that's really evil. Like, that's offensive. That, that, that grieves me. That makes me, that's not... Because the Spirit can be quenched. The Spirit can be grieved. So when you're born of the Spirit, things that quench and grieve the Spirit, they're going to quench and grieve you. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit's in you. 
And the Holy Spirit's going to guide us. So when we're seeking the Lord, reading his word, and something's illuminated to us, and we're like, hey, I want you to take a step of faith. I want to do this in your life. And the Holy Spirit leads us. That's the Holy Spirit leading us. We're like, like, why? When I pray for Dave Markey in this prayer book, why do I suddenly think I'm supposed to go to Russia when I've never thought to go to Russia in my entire life? But just praying for Dave Markey. And the thought enters my mind, I wonder if I'm supposed to go to Russia. Never thought that thought before in my life. And then the next day, when talking to Billy, Billy Rutledge and Hatteras, to see who I've never called before in my life. And now I know him. Last time I saw him, he had cancer and he's terminal. So I think, I'm going to call Billy, who serves and lives in the Outer Banks, and see how he's doing. It's like, it's on my heart. In fact, it's so on my heart by the Holy Spirit that I can't do anything else today until I call Billy Rutledge and just say, hey, how you doing? And I call him up, hey, how you doing? How's your health? He's like, doing great. What do you have to? I'm going to Russia in three weeks. You're going to Russia? Yeah, I'm going to the pastor's conference. And then I'm going to Salakard, Siberia, to visit Dave Markey. Billy, I think I'm maybe supposed to go with you to Russia in three weeks. Well, that's impossible. You'll never get a visa in three weeks. Huh? With God, nothing is impossible. If I'm supposed to go to Russia, I'll be with you there in three weeks. And that's, of course, exactly what happened. That's how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. The thought, the inspiration, the creativity, the imagination, different things. It feels suddenly like, why would I think that? I have never in my life thought to go to Russia. I've had no interest or desire to go to Russia. You could be right there with Saudi Arabia and Pakistan. It's just somewhere I just, just have no interest going to. I want people to get saved in those places, but I'm not the one. Like, that's the Holy Spirit. So when we think about being transformed in a new heart, that's what happens with a new heart. That's what happens with a new heart. This isn't Joey Brand in 1972 watching the Russian basketball team rip off Team USA for their gold medal, right? Do you remember that? 1972, Munich, how that happened? Three different, oh, it was horrible. I hated Russia. The hammer and the sickle, I just, oh, hated Russia. Hated it, and then like, it's a new heart. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. So he transforms our heart. He, he leads us and guides us. He's in us. And then he comes upon us. And that upon us, of course, we talk about the epi, the, the empowering, and really contextually in the book of Acts, the epi is to be the witness for Christ, so to live the right life, to be able to declare the words with truth. But we often think, well, I've got the epi, so I preach like Billy Graham. Actually, no, because Paul was spirit-filled, and he said, when he came to Corinthians, I came in fear and trembling and much fear. So the epi isn't just Greg Laurie looking confident at Anaheim Stadium you know, in 2010. The epi is you trembling and being able to share truth with someone when you're just so nervous about it. It's still the epi. But the idea is that God makes you a new woman and a new man. So let me ask the women here tonight, without a show of hands, would you say you're a different woman than the one that went to high school without Jesus, if that's you? Would you say that you're a different woman than the one that before you came to Christ and after Christ? Is there a different woman? Because you should be transformed. You should not be the same woman that you were back then. Then, for the men, I'd say the same thing. If you've confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, can you say you're a different person since the time you made that confession than before that time? Because see, if you're the same person, that's just religion. Because he gave him a new heart, and he gives us a new heart. We want to be able to say, like, we're nowhere near the same person. 
that we're being transformed, as we said in Corinthians, we're being transformed from glory to glory. The person that was is not the person that is. So we want that transformation. We want the Holy Spirit's going to guide our mind, our worldview, our character, because of the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about this a lot lately. Love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the meekness, the the faithfulness, the goodness, the gentleness, all the things that Christ is, that's what the Holy Spirit produces in our life, the fruit of the Spirit. And then the gifts of the Spirit to function in the church, and that baptism of the Spirit to be a witness for, for Christ outside the church in the world. But really, when you think about the transformation being turned into another man or another woman, it really is the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. That's really what it is, making us more like Jesus. Our actions, our reactions. And I think that's, I I feel good about this congregation. I think most of us can say, you know, I'm I'm not yet arrived, like Paul says, but I'm, I'm farther on the journey than I was. And... I've said this for years, but if I can end one year being more who I'm meant to be in Christ than the previous year, then good for me and good for you and good for the planet Earth. And the same for you and your loved ones. If there's a bit more in the scales of your being of Jesus and the Spirit in your life in 2022 than 2021, and it's, it's an upgrade, good for you. Because the world needs an upgrade of Jesus and me in 2022. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.